the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back pain psychiatrist Dr. David Marks. Dr. Marks, welcome back to the podcast. I'm very happy to be with you again, Sam. You had talked about aberrancies in pain management, and you said we could do an entire podcast on that, and so here we are. I wanted to talk some more about that. I did some research, and I realized there are many different types of aberrant behaviors, and my goal is to try to help all of us who prescribe opiates to be aware of some of these. How would you define aberrant behavior in general, and are there specifics to pain management? Well, aberrant drug-taking behavior uh, is essentially taking the medication uh, outside the way it's prescribed or the way it's been uh, instructed to be taken by the prescriber. You know, I think largely the term refers to when patients are prescribed controlled medications and there's a concern that uh, they're taking them uh, in a way that is, is dangerous to themselves or to the community. Uh, or, or in a way that is just, uh, you know, really medically unsanctioned. So probably our, our population of clinicians does have a lot of experience with dealing with aberrant behaviors. In the chronic pain population, you know, we are a lot more vigilant about aberrant behaviors, just in the sense that, you know, when we're balancing the risks and benefits of chronic opioid management program, it's, it's oftentimes different than uh, managing the risks and benefits of acute pain management, some, something like after a surgery or, or after an injury, where I think in general, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a higher tolerance for aberrancy. And, um, you know, when you do a risk stratification, so to speak, um, you know, patients that need opioids for an acute pain syndrome, unless there's really extreme risks, uh, it's still advisable to prescribe opioids for a post-op patient, for example, or a patient with a serious a trauma or something of that nature. What we do in the chronic pain world does translate to the acute pain world. And, you know, by way of example, I've seen some patients that have been referred to me from the orthopedic uh, orthopedists in my practice, where they were just a little uncomfortable about prescribing um, acute uh, opioids for um, a post-op patient. And they had me involved in uh, the strategies of trying to reduce the risks of aberrancy in patients that um, are going to take opioids post-op. In researching this, I read a publication uh, on aberrant behavior, and it was specific to patients in pain management. And I know you'd mentioned that you'd seen this before, but just for our listeners, they broke it down into two categories, behaviors that are worrisome for addiction and medication abuse, and behaviors that may seem aberrant, but are really the patient trying to manage their pain symptoms better and probably will not lead to abuse. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think what you're saying is that not all aberrant behaviors are created equal, and I completely would sanction that concept. I, I think the paper you're talking about is from a Steve Posick's group, uh, Posick and Weinraub in 2000. And I, you know, he talked about how aberrant drug behaviors there are some that are more predictive of abuse and some that are less predictive of abuse. Um, not that those that are less predictive of abuse should be ignored, but you know, some of the examples he used was something like forging prescriptions or stealing somebody else's medications or you know, taking the medication in a way by a route that it wasn't intended, like injecting or snorting an, an oral medication. I mean, those are all obviously very predictive of abuse. Some things that would be less predictive of abuse might be you know, requesting specific drugs, you know, like, well, I know Dilaudid works really well for me. Um, or, 
you know, kind of hoarding drugs during periods where your symptoms are not as bad so that you have enough at times when your symptoms are worse. Those types of things are, are less uh, severe in terms of the abuse potential. Uh, almost all of us that, that study this and talk about this refer to that paper quite a bit. It's become something of a landmark paper. You know, the, the premise is that when you're intervening with aberrant behaviors, you, you really want to have a plan that is commensurate with the level of the aberrant behavior and that specifically addresses the um, behavior that you're seeing. And, and this is the level of sophistication that, that we're advocating that, um, that chronic pain clinicians and, and to some extent people treating acute pain such as yourself are operating in because you know so many times what I see in my practice are patients who had an aberrant behavior and then they're booted from the, the clinician's practice. I've seen more lenient clinicians that, you know, will basically say, well, three strikes and you're out and three aberrant behaviors and you're out. And, you know, to me, that lacks a certain amount of sophistication. I mean, we're not playing baseball and counting strikes. You know, we're, we're trying to come up with an opioid treatment plan that we adapt when new information comes in about the risk benefit profile. And, and that's what intervening with aberrant drug taking behaviors is all about. Right. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting thinking about this from chronic versus acute pain management. And I definitely, you know, with acute pain limit the numbers of prescriptions or the number of meds that I give, but it is interesting. I, you know, reading through this list and I would encourage people to check it out. I was interested if you have any memorable or interesting patient aberrant behaviors you would like to share. You know, the premise of the aberrant behaviors again is, is, it, it harkens back to a, conversa a conversation that you and I had on a previous podcast where we talked about risk stratification uh, prior to prescribing opioids. And I think I, I hopefully mentioned at the time that, you know, risk stratification is an ongoing thing. And so, you know, as new information comes in that uh, like maybe a patient is displaying aberrant behaviors and then that shifts your risk stratification some and you take that into account and you adapt the treatment plan. Um, I, you know, I'll give you an example, since I think it's probably apropos to your world, of a patient that one of our orthopedists referred to me recently. Uh, now, this wasn't a patient with aberrant drug-taking behaviors that we had seen in the, in the clinic, but a patient that just was essentially a high-risk patient. Now, she was scheduled for an elective orthopedic surgery. She actually needed, uh, I, I'll change a few of the details for confidentiality's sake, but you know, she needed a, um, you know, a kind of a minor knee surgery, and she actually would end up needing it on the other knee as well. Now, she had a history of um, heroin addiction, and um, so obviously the orthopedist was concerned about the potential for aberrancy and referred the patient to me to manage uh, post-op meds. And the patient uh, had been sober for a while and, and um, was actually doing well, but, and, and, but we were concerned about not only would the patient potentially have aberrant behaviors with the post-op opioids, but, you know, would this uh, be a trigger for them to relapse on illicit opioids as well? And for this particular patient, uh, you know, we estimated that she would need about three days of post-op medication. So as you know, that would be a kind of a minor surgery. And uh, so we arranged to have a responsible uh, adult um, dispense, you know, a family member essentially go to the pharmacy, pick up the medications, dispense the medications to her uh, on a on a daily basis, or, well, on a, on a three times a day basis. 
Uh, and, you know, we did this for the three days of post-op and actually she just finished her second surgery and all of this went really well. There was no relapse into uh, heroin use or anything like that. But, you know, the point is that you come up with a treatment plan that is um, commensurate with what you're trying to prevent or trying to safeguard against. Right. Great information. You've mentioned this already, but good practices to follow when we're dealing with these situations in patients. I mean, that's I, totally different for chronic pain management versus acute care. Uh, certainly, you want to check the, um, you know, the pharmacy profile and see, you know, what they look like. And typically, after you've been doing it long enough in an acute situation, anyway, you you kind of know when somebody's coming in what they're looking for. But uh, any other practices that you would recommend? Uh, any other situations? Well, you're right about the the prescription monitoring program really has been a game changer uh, for us in terms of, I, I imagine when people come into your urgent care now, you can easily determine whether they've been, I guess, doctor shopping, as they say, um, or whether they've been, uh, you know, going from ER to ER or something like that. Legislative um, movements across the country have tried to reduce the number of pills that are prescribed for acute pain and post-op pain situations. So that's helped a lot. For the chronic pain clinician, I would want to make sure there was a little bit of um, understanding about what we call pseudo-addiction. Now, that's become a controversial issue, especially with some of this OxyContin litigation, rather, that's come out. But, um, you know, I, I believe in the concept of pseudo-addiction, and pseudo-addiction is the idea that patients may be demonstrating aberrant behaviors um, because their pain is not uh, optimally controlled, you know, with the premise being that if their pain can be better controlled, the aberrancies will stop. Now, you know, what that might look like is a patient who is, you know, you're telling them to take four Percocet a day and they're taking eight Percocet a day because they feel like they need that for their pain. And, you know, the strategies for that specific aberrancy might involve uh, you know, giving them a higher dose and potentially, you know, things that are less abusable, like maybe uh, a higher dose, but of a long-acting medication so that there's, there's not such a tendency to pop so many pills. But the premise being that if you can, if you give them a higher dose, then they will adhere to that higher dose and not keep escalating the dose. Um, but if you see that, you know, the more you give, just the more they want, and they just keep taking more and more and more, and it just seems like there's, there's not an amount that they'll be satisfied with, and that's really looking like it's not pseudo-addiction, and that's looking like true addiction. The chronic pain clinician does well to, to understand that concept. I mean, we could talk forever about just, you know, how to intervene with aberrant behaviors, but a lot of the simple things we do um, would be having uh, somebody else store and dispense the medication, and you can certainly do that in your acute uh, pain setting if, if you have concerns about somebody uh, but you feel like they would benefit from opioid pain treatment, then, you know, see, you know, get their significant other or parent on the phone and see if you can uh, enroll them in the concept of, of dispensing and managing the medication for the person. And most people, most patients are completely on board with that. And they're not, you know, offended or feeling belittled by the idea about having somebody else dispense. Um, we would also you know, other strategies for that type of aberrancy could include, you know, fewer pills, but longer acting because they're less prone to what we call chemical coping, where people maybe just, you know, take impulsively because, you know, they find the medication makes them less anxious or less stressed. 
Um, you know, it's it's a lot easier to uh, you know uh, misuse something like if you take six Percocet a day, it's a lot easier to take you know eight to ten a day than it is if you take like let's say two oxycontin a day to take four oxycontin. I mean, that's a, a much more significant aberrancy in my mind is to overuse a long-acting medication. We often, you know, adjust the number of pills we would give a patient. So, you know, I have patients in my practice that I give them weekly supplies of medications and maybe they come in every three or four weeks and see me and I do a urine drug screen at that time. And I give them, you know, their three or four prescriptions, or, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, and in the acute setting, uh, the first example I gave was was kind of extreme, right? I mean, you know, I gave you an example of somebody that has to have their caregiver go to the pharmacy every day to get one day's worth of post-op medications. But there's no reason you can't do that if you have concerns about a patient's uh, risk of aberrancy uh, or if they've demonstrated aberrancy uh, in an acute pain setting as well. So, I mean, those are just some of, of many different um, types. I, I, I think I probably talked in the last podcast about the idea of using agents that are um, less overall abusable, like using partial agonists like buprenorphine as opposed to full agonists like oxycodone and hydromorphone. That's certainly a strategy that I use a lot. Um, I like to use transdermal preparations for some patients. There are some patients based on their either their initial risk stratification or the aberrancies that they've demonstrated in treatment with me, where I think, you know, I'm okay with giving you uh, a transdermal preparation, which is obviously, you know, you have to kind of go out of your way to abuse a patch compared to, uh, you know, multiple dosing, uh, multiple times a day dosing of a short acting oral opioid. So that, you know, there's all kinds of little strategies that I think the sophisticated pain clinician um, is familiar with. In your acute setting, I, I think I would try to use some of these things and, and optimize the success of your acute pains, uh, acute pain programs as well. March, March, great information. And as always, I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, sir. Have a good evening. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. Join us for our 21st annual meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, PAOS in the Music City. September the 6th to September the 10th, 2021 at the Omni Nashville Hotel. Check paos.org for details. Registration is open.